So, um, good morning everybody. My name is Jess Potter. I, um, it's great to be here. I'm going to start off with a bit of a confession. Last night when Becca said that it's the first for many of us for many things, um, I realised that actually I haven't spoken properly in front of a group of people for over two years. Like I've done stuff on Zoom, I've done stuff that's pre-recorded, I've kind of got used to speaking to myself like in a room, like in a vacuum, and just chatting away to a camera. And so this is like, these real people. You're going to like engage with me. But actually, I'm not going to do too much talking. I'm actually going to get you guys to do most of the talking. But um, so this, you're in the Be Ready seminar. So if you're not wanting to be here, you can step out now. <laughs> you were meant to be next door. You can go. That's fine. All right. So be ready. The Bible says this. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you uh, to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and with respect. That's 1 Peter 3.15. It's one of my favourite verses. And opportunities to share the gospel come along absolutely every single day. And part of that is recognising that that opportunity is there. And other times kind of, and sometimes it's like very subtle and your response is subtle. But other times you need to be really ready to explain you know, who it is that you love, what it is that you carry, and why you carry it. And so how do you do that? Do you worry about freezing up in the moment? Like, is that is that a genuine concern? Like, what do I say? Do I get it right? Do I need to get all four points of the gospel in there? Or what happens? And um, what if I say something that's wrong? You know, will they, like, be condemned to hell forever? Um, that's not true, by the way, just to be clear. Um, <laughs> what if I can't get the words in the right order? Uh, will the person actually really be saved if I'm the one that gets to pray with them? I mean, are there genuine questions? I get that. So we're just going to look at a little bit about that. But our bigger problem, I think those are like, I was joking a little bit with those questions, but our bigger, bigger problem, I think, is that we live in a little bit of fear, and it's fear about causing offence. Yeah? I think that's actually a more genuine, more valid problem. We're sort of worried because we know that we live in a world where, it's certainly in the UK, Christianity is put in a little box, uh, it's marginalised, it's made fun of, it's ridiculed within uh, media. Uh, people, you know, the minute you tell somebody you're a Christian, they will, they, they sort of, they do put you in a box, don't they? You get that. So how do we, who, and all of us are called to be evangelists, I loved... I can't remember the lady's name, the one at the end that was sharing. Sorry, Carolyn, who was sharing just now in Modified Moments, and how she said, you know, her way of evangelism was very different to the Billy Grahams and the Jay Johns of the world. Because actually, I think all of us, we know that we're all called to be evangelists. And to be friends, friendship evangelism is actually, you know, our strongest and um, strongest way of reaching our nation and the nations. And I'm sure that you've heard that very famous quote that is attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, uh, and I'm not sure he actually said it, but it says, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. Have you all heard that? And so the, the heart behind that is really that actually your life should be such that people can look at you and they can see Jesus from the way that you're living. And yeah, that is great. And then if necessary, use words, except that I see in the Bible something a little bit different. And I see that Paul the Apostle, he used words and he talked about persuading. So what are the words that we need to use? So just a couple of verses just to throw out at you. Uh, Acts 17, 2-4. Uh, as was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue 
And on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures. So he was talking, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. And some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. So all those words in there that are about using your words, you know, reasoning and explaining, proving, proclaiming, persuading. And then, you know, in Acts 18, we've got every Sabbath, Paul reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. So don't be afraid of using your words. However, I think that it's Acts 26 that is where I want to focus today. That gives us the key in explaining the gospel every single day. Um, In this particular passage, Paul is having, uh, he's got an audience with King Agrippa, the guy in charge. He's got um, an audience. The king gives Paul permission to speak to him. And Paul uses his words to make his defence. So I'm going to read quite a bit of it out to you. And if you've got your Bibles with you, you might want to read, you might want to follow along. So Acts 26, and I'm in verse 12. And Paul says to King, King Agrippa this, he says, On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It's hard for you to kick against the gods. Is it hard for you to kick against the gods? Sorry. And then I ask you, who are you, Lord? And his response is, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand up on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your people and from the Gentiles. I sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and place among them who are sanctified by faith in me. And the reason that I've taken some time to read that to you is this is what Paul did. He got the opportunity to talk to the guy in charge and what he did was he simply shared his story. He shared what happened to him. Because when you share your story, nobody can argue with what happened to you. Yeah. See, I am utterly convinced, you know, and I, I've done apologetics, and uh, apologetics being the study of how to explain scriptures and all the rest of it. I've done all of that. But you know what? I don't think I've ever won anybody to Jesus by arguing with them. And all I've done is create more walls and create more defences and cause people to stay more entrenched in their belief but actually when I have gotten to know people and have opportunity to spend time with them eventually there comes a point where I can share my story explain what happened to me mm-hmm. and um, and people are inherently nosy the, the things I do want you to remember people are nosy that's the first thing they are nosy the second thing is they want to like you that is the truth And more importantly, they want you to like them. Those are the fundamental building blocks of everything. They are nosy, they want to like you, but they really want you to like them. And when you like them, you share your life with them. And when you share your life with them, you share your story with them. 
We don't know if the king was ever converted, but we do know that Paul in that moment was spared from death. So he was supposed to be sentenced to death, but in that particular moment, he wasn't. So what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to make you do some work. Um, I want us to actually practice telling our stories before I go on to recognising moments. And I want us to do it in such a way that we're just going to do it in pairs and we're just going to do it for a couple of minutes. I want you to be able to say something of what life was like for you before you became a Christian. And I want you to say something about what happened at the point of where you became a Christian. And finally, a little bit about what life was like since you've become a Christian. But what I don't want you to use are jargon words. So I want to just discuss what jargon words are. So can you just throw out some ideas of jargon words for me? What do you think I mean by that? Washed in blood. Love that one, Fran, thank you. Washed in the blood. Can I just tell you that I normally have really beautiful writing until I have to write on a whiteboard. And I can spell until I have to write on a whiteboard. Um, okay, so washed in the blood. Somebody else said redeemed. Did I hear that? What else? Sanctified. Sanctified. Lamb of God. Lamb of God. I'm glad you guys are on this. Saved. Sorry? Saved. Yeah, really good. I mean, what does that mean? If you are not a Christian, what does I was saved mean? Like, it just doesn't make sense to me. So come on, just a few more words. We're doing really well. Sorry? Repent, yeah. Justification. Any more? Sorry? Body. Born again. Yeah, born again. Like, that makes no sense. Born again. I mean, once upon a time in this country, you know, especially if you went to school, those, those are some words that you might actually understand because, you know, you had assemblies, you did hymn singing at school and whatever. But actually, these days, more and more, People don't understand those words. Go for it, sorry. It, 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 Easter's come up for me recently. Easter. Kids have no idea that Easter what? is anything other than bunnies and stuff. Like, no. So actually just saying about the message of Easter. Wow. Oh, that's the message of Easter one, Easter. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I, hadn't even, yeah. I hadn't even gone there. Christmas meaning Jesus rather than... Father Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. Father Christmas. Sorry, there was something over here. Sin. Sorry? Sin. Sin, excellent. Thank you. Oh, sorry, gospel, brilliant. Anyone? Even forgiveness, I'd like to use the word forgiveness, but it, it, it's understandable. Yeah, because what does that actually that mean? Say it, yeah. Depends on the person. Yeah. So, I mean, there's lots of words there that I've already just thrown out. Um, what I want us to do is to get into just maybe pairs and just quickly just... Tell each other one or two, just some stories maybe, um, of your your position of coming to faith. Now here's one I want to point out before you all panic. Um, when I when I tell my story, and I, I will tell my story. When I tell my story, I'm not going to tell it now. I want to do it after after you've had yours. <laughs> like I have a reasonably interesting story. So I was a Sikh and I became a Christian. I understand that there is an element of interest in that story. 
And, you know, if you were like a, an axe murderer and a drug dealer and, you know, like just lived in this hideous amount of sin and then became a Christian, I can also understand why that would be an interesting story. However, most people have probably, you know, I was raised in a Christian home. This happened, you know, my husband was raised in a Christian home and he always says his story is boring. But actually his story is normal. His story is relatable. Most people understand that. That's like a normal everyday story and people want to be able to relate. Most people that I talked to were not Sikhs and became Christians or are on the journey. I don't meet enough of those. But most people have had some semblance of Christian upbringing, whether it's grandparents or neighbours or aunts or uncles. So can I just say your story is massively valid and probably more significant and more tellable than a story like mine. So, two minutes, try and practice your story and then I'm gonna ask one or two of you to come to the front and share your story. And we're gonna have a jargon busting moment as well. So go, three, two, one, go. Okay, I'm gonna ask you to draw your conversations to a close. You've obviously got lots to talk about. I don't have a teacher voice. I haven't mastered that teacher voice yet, have I? But I can give out detentions if you like. <laughs> okay. How was that? How was talking about it? Excellent. Thank you. Um, anybody come up with more jargon words? Did you find yourself trying to... Struggle. Yeah. But something missing is understandable, I think. I think people could understand I was looking for something. I, um, and people are. Sometimes they don't even know they're looking for something, but people are looking for something. And they're relatable, yeah. yeah. They might might not know that. No, no, you're right. But yeah. that might bring another question. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. I think baptism is something that, you know, is, is a word you could use. Church, you know, because I, I just was thinking about church. I'm like, you know, if you are a church that meets in a school hall or meets in someone's house or you meet in a warehouse, it's like, it's not, you know, how, how do you communicate that? There are lots of questions around all of this, isn't there? And do you have to necessarily, well, I want you to think it through. I want you to think through the language that, that you're using. So who's willing to come up and share their story, just so we can have a little bit of a... Come on. Don't be scared. Thank you very much. So Liz, you have got two minutes to share something of your story. And um, I just want us to practice a little sound we can make. Oh, if, if Liz uses a jargon word. Thanks, Liz. <laughs> What kind of, what kind of, are we just going to little wave? Should we just wave at her? Yeah, we'll have a little wave. We won't be like mean. I'm not going to use like a, what is it, on Family Fortunes where they go, ah, ah. Yeah. <laughs> you can just have a little wave. Okay, so go on then. Liz, sorry. Okay, so, um, grew up uh, in St Albans where um, my mum took me to church every week. Um, thought church was good, quite liked church. Uh, something you do every Sunday. 
had no relevance to my life whatsoever. But I, I did enjoy it, definitely. Um, so yes, I went to church every Sunday, then um, went off to university. Thought I won't bother going to church, don't need church, off to university now. Um, <laughs> but um, thought I would go to the Christian Union. Didn't like the Christian Union, I thought they were all a bunch of hypocrites. Um, I'm sorry, I'm sounding very judgmental. I'm sure they were fine. Um, <laughs> um, but as time went on, I did think there is something missing from my life. Um, and um, one day, because I had had that foundation, I suppose, going to church, one day I said to God, if you want me to go to church, um, then you're going to have to wake me up in the morning. And I suppose this was against a backdrop of me going out clubbing, one night stands, lots of drinking, really enjoying the pleasures of university life, what I would have seen as the pleasures of university life then, uh, and then um, started going to church, had a boyfriend, um, obviously wasn't a Christian, we weren't Christian, um, did things non-Christian people do, and um, thought, I'm going to have to give this up, I don't want to give it up, so. so I had one foot in the church, and this is where I want to say the world, but um, one foot in just, you know, university life and whatever. Uh, left university and had a sort of a short period of not going to church at all, then thought I'd better try and find a church again. Went sort of a few evenings and then again sort of carried on a little bit the old lifestyle, a bit more church lifestyle. And then I thought, then I did something I was really ashamed of. And I just felt the Lord say, you've got to make a choice. So I chose, I chose Jesus, best thing I ever did. And uh, my life has just been just amazing. Just God has blessed me, redeemed me. And you know what? The moment I chose, chose Jesus. <laughs> I did really well, didn't I? <laughs> uh, but yeah, just to finish, the moment um, I chose Jesus, I had no desire to do those things anymore. I just, just had no interest. Um, so that's my story. Liz, thank you so much, and I'm really glad that we got to wave at you a little bit <laughs> because it helps me. It helps me to bounce off of that. Absolutely brilliant, because you, it's such a relatable story. You un, you understood everything that happened in that story, and what I really wanted to highlight that you said, and which is really important, is that you said, and then I then there was Jesus. And you mentioned Jesus. And for me, you know, mentioning Jesus, otherwise it could be any religion. It could be anything. And so at some point you have got to say, Jesus. Whether you think that's a jargon word or not, our faith is built on Jesus and what he has done. And so thank you. You, you, you did that beautifully. I really appreciated that. But actually what you also illustrated for us is that at the moment that you try and talk about what life was like after you've become a Christian, actually, then you do go into jargon words very quickly, very naturally. And so you have to just continue to work on that. Um, Liz, you have my untold respect for going up first and, and doing that. Now, is anybody else willing to give us a go? Thank you. I'm perfect length, thank you very much. <laughs> I don't think mine's very good, but then, you know, this is part of the challenge, isn't it? Is. it? So, so, so I'll take it on. So, hi there, my name's Fiona. Um, I was brought up in a little town called Princess Risborough, which is about an hour or so away. And uh, yeah, we were brought up, I was brought up in a Christian home and uh, we went to church every Sunday. Um, we moved to uh, Long Crendon Baptist Church, which is a, a good Bible-believing church 
um, when uh, when I was in my early teens, and um, and you know yeah, I just carried on going to church. But I I then when I I. Uh, you know, home life wasn't always easy, particularly in the teens, and school life also, I think I found quite challenging. And um, and so as I went through the sort of teen Sunday schools, we were taught about lifestyle choices that we might be making as Christians. And I did decide and became a Christian and made a commitment to being a Christian at about 15 years old and uh, decided that I would live that way. Um, I found life quite challenging with that but I just felt that I think faith belief in Jesus but I find that difficult to say I don't naturally say that um gave me stability in 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 life um and um and it gave me a sort of bigger picture that I could make sense of so then um as I went on through life I did went nursing training got married had children and um, certainly recent years, you know, I'm very, I, I, I see God really working in, through me and in me and, um, and, you know, to my children, trying to express to them my faith. It's been really, uh, really challenging, but at the same time, I long for them to have that stability and certainty that is provided by, um, by, by my faith and by belief in Jesus. Perfect. That was just so good. Thank you so much. But she had the advantage of having listened to you first. Yeah. <laughs> so I said Jesus lot. <laughs> you, did. you did. I did notice that. To say that. But what you also did was you talked about the fact that actually you've become a Christian and it's life's not always easy. And in fact, you know, it's still complicated and rubbish stuff still happens once you become a Christian. But actually, we're just facing it differently, aren't we? Um, so telling your story, oh, have I lost it now? Telling your story, it's gone, isn't it? The battery? I know, it's just because it was being recorded, that's all. Um, telling, telling your story is one way, but I don't know about you, how many times have you had the opportunity to actually share your story? Not often. Not often, no. And so how do you create those moments... Or how do, those, how do you recognise that those moments are there where you can share your story? Because if you're in a relationship with somebody such that you've got the opportunity to tell your story, the reality is that they're probably really looking and they're probably really ready to give their life to Jesus. So what you're trying to do is actually you're building to that moment of being able to share your story. So that's where the whole thing of friendship evangelism comes in. So let me give you two stories. This is for your benefit. I'm giving you two stories to explain my point. The first is that for a long time, I served um, as the chaplain at the row of shops that were in near where I live. So I just used to pop in every Wednesday. And uh, because I worked for a church, I could, you know, if I had this, this in of being their chaplain. Every Wednesday afternoon, pop along. Is it still not working, Sarah? Every afternoon... Um, pop along, say hello. Uh, it was a little bit cheesy, if I'm really honest, but I was faithful and committed to doing it. At Christmas, we'd take them chocolates. At Easter, we would take them more chocolate. Um, uh, you know, I'd always say, is there anything you'd like me to pray for? Uh, is there anything you want me to do? I think I got involved in some helping them sort out some free parking for outside the shops and stuff and whatever. 
They all got to know me really well. I got to know them. Sometimes you sort of look in the shop and you, they were obviously busy. I'll come back next week and that was it. And so they just knew that I was jazz and I was, well, they called me the vicar in the church. That's how they knew me. But there was one Wednesday afternoon, which I called into the hairdressers. And um, the girl that owns the hairdressers, Carly, she was there. And she just looked at me and she went, Jazz, what must I do to be saved? Oh, wow. <laughs> she actually asked me that question. Can I say, that has not happened often in my life. <laughs> the reason that she'd asked me was this. For years, I've been going into her shop, knocking on the door every Wednesday, building up that rapport, having that relationship. The day before she asked me that question, she had been at a, an exhibition in London, and it was a hairdressing kind of thing. For some bizarre reason, there was a stall in this particular exhibition that was going on about Jesus. It was, you know, I don't know, he wasn't quite wearing a sandwich board, but it was <laughs> effectively that. And, um, and they told Carly that she had to be saved. They just said, you've got to be saved. You've got to be born again, whatever it was. I mean, she just was really freaked out by it. Mm -hmm. However, where they were very, very bold, and where they were what I would never do, they dropped a seed into Carly's life. They were faithful. So I am not knocking it. <laughs> I might have laughed at it, but I'm not knocking it. But Carly knew. So that, that played in her mind the whole of that day and the whole of that night. And she knew I'd been on Wednesday afternoon. So she held her question. Jazz, what must I do to but she could ask me that question because for years I had created an a, a weekly opportunity for the gospel to be preached. Me just rocking up every week was carrying the good news of Jesus into her hairdresser. So that afternoon, I got to tell her what she needed to do to be saved, but not just her. I got to tell, because it was a room smaller than this, I got to tell the receptionist. I got to tell the other hairdressers. I got to tell all of the clients that were having their hair done <laughs> what they needed to do to be safe. <laughs> can, you, can you see how that works? Yeah. It's beginning to build those consistent, faithful relationships, yeah. being prepared to be in it for the long haul. So it is that small gate moment. It is uh, your colleague at work on the table next to you. It, is the woman at the checkout counter that you see every week when you go to Sainsbury's. It, it is, it's those consistent, faithful relationships that you have with people. And then there comes that point where people will ask you. Yeah. Now, if you, my other story for today, is if you met my husband, um, it's unlikely that you, were, I don't think it's likely that you put the two of us together, so you, you've met me, you realise that I'm quite extrovert, that I need people, that I have ridiculous amounts of confidence and can talk to anybody. Tim, on the other hand, is a little bit quieter than me. Is that true, Fran? Yeah, Fran's been. So I've just joined Fran's church, so I've only been, well, I've been there since November, but I've only been with you guys for two whole weeks. It's all very new at the moment. And, um, but Fran has met Tim, and there is a distinct difference between Tim and I. And Tim has a job where we tease him, because I often say to him, have you told anybody you're a Christian yet? 
And so it's like, no, no, no. We're too long and they're all men. We're too long at work. And I'm like, okay, whatever. And, uh, and I'm like, Tim, you know, he really loves Jesus. Like, he really, really does. But he, he works with a bunch of guys. I mean, they work for a, a company behind the... They work for a company behind the Met Police where they um, have to do horrible things like put tents over dead bodies and secure crime scenes and things like that. So they're all, like, blokey blokes. And, um, no, no. But this... They're all in a syndicate for a monopoly. Oh, not monopoly, the, the lottery. That's what I mean. They're all in a syndicate. And uh, they asked him to join their syndicate. And he went, oh, I'm not going to do it. And he said it really kindly. You know, I'm not going to do it. That's him doing his bit. Because that's the way he is wired. And, uh, and so I still tease him. So, Can I ask you why you're not doing the lottery? No, no one's asked me. <laughs> And then all through COVID support, I did loads of stuff for COVID. Did loads of stuff through for COVID support, and um, and I, uh, they. <laughs> so when they did ask him eventually at one point, what does your wife do? He didn't say, oh, she's a, a vicar in a church, or she's a minister, or a pastor, or any of those things. No, no, she does COVID support. Is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> Cheeky. However. And um, so he had to tell the company that we were moving house, and it was a, got a longer commute now. And actually, they said, "Oh, do you want to borrow the vans?" And you know, they're really generous, actually. And then finally, somebody said to him, "So what does your wife do?" <laughs> and then he had to fess up. But you know what? He's carrying Jesus into that space. So he's not swearing like the rest of them, and not he's not judging them. He's not being mean to them. He's he's just joined in with the team. They all love him. Absolutely. And there will come that moment where they will continue to see his faithful witness and faithful example. And eventually, somebody will come to him and say, what must I do to be saved? And at that point, he can share his story. And at that point, he can explain something of what Jesus has done. He can, you know, you can do that. And so the other thing that I want to finish with, I want to land on, um, unless you actually want to hear my story. I'll land on that in in a minute. (laughs) <laughs> um, oh, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> oh, well, I'll tell you my story and it might come back to me. Okay, I'm going to try and do it in two minutes flat. It's been a while since I've told it. Oh, no, I remembered what I was going to say. <laughs> you, you don't always have to tell your story. But I want to challenge you this morning that when you go back to work, when you go back to wherever, you're a bit honest about perhaps where you were this weekend. Or you're a little bit honest about, you know, next weekend you went to go to church or on Monday morning someone says to you, oh, what did you do this weekend? That you actually just bring in your normal lifestyle every single day. When you bring in your normal lifestyle every single day, you're actually sharing the gospel. When you're not hiding who you are, when you're being authentic and being real, you are sharing the gospel. You're setting up what I would call the opportunities to bring in the reality of Jesus. So I don't, um, that's my challenge to you. My encouragement to you is simply on, on Monday morning when you go back and people say, what did you do for the weekend? You could say, I went on a weekend away with girls, which you could say, and that is legitimately true. You could say, oh, I went to a conference. It was a Christian conference. You, know, you can actually use those words to put that in. And that's all you have to say. You don't have to finish it. 
You don't have to give them the whole gospel at the end of it, but you can drop something in of who you are and help people know that actually when they need to know who Jesus is, you are a good person. When you do get to that point, because this is the question that will come up, when you get to that point of sharing the gospel and wanting to pray with people, people often say, what do I say? What do I do? And like, there is that prayer at the back of the Alpha book, isn't there, that you can lead people through. Great prayer. But I also want to say this to you. You don't have to like go through that prayer step by step by step. Getting saved, being saved, is something that God does on the inside. It's not what we do. It's not the words of the prayer. It's what God is doing. It's, it's, it's an inward work that the Holy Spirit does, that Jesus does. It's people recognising who Jesus is. And so it actually doesn't really matter what you pray. Just pray with them. Pray for them to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Pray that they keep encountering Jesus, knowing the love of God. And yes, you can talk about being forgiven. You can talk about what Jesus has done. But actually, usually in that moment, they just want to know that Jesus loves them. Mm-hmm. Um, my favourite, favourite um, prayer was my friend Jenae when she got saved. And she'd been coming to church for a little while. In about 10 years, we'd been having a relationship with her on and off, on and off. And um, when she got to that point of salvation, she was in her room on her own. And this is what she said to Jesus. Jesus, I've been using your facilities for quite a while now. (laughs) I think I'd like to get on your bus. That was her prayer of commitment. And I just used that as a way of explaining. It's not about the words. It really is about the heart attitude. And the day after she prayed that prayer, I was driving her home. And uh, she said to me, Jess, Jess. It's like I've been born all over again. (laughs) I didn't have to tell her she'd become born again because she'd had a genuine encounter with Jesus. She understood that she had become born again. And then the next sentence was, Jasmine, I've already sent Mick out to buy me a Bible. Like, she knew. knew. We've been discipling for 10 years. She just didn't know we've been discipling. <laughs> and then she went, Jazz, I need to join that, that life group thing that you do on Wednesday nights. My Wednesdays were always very busy, you can tell, aren't you? And, um, and I said, Yeah, that's fine, you can join us. And then she went, Right, and now how do I do that giving money thing? <laughs> she hadn't even saved 24 hours. <laughs> but for 10 years, we'd consistently been her friend, and she had been observing and watching our lives, and she knew that we did these things. So when that point of salvation came for her, Suddenly, all those other things, that weird things that we were doing, made sense. Okay, I've got two minutes left. So I can, it just finished at 11.15, doesn't it? I'm sure it does. 12.15, sorry. Um, so I'm going to tell you my story, just because I can see that, like, if I don't, if I don't give you a story, you're going to be really cross with me. <laughs> so, um, so here it goes. I was born uh, in India, and I came to the UK as a baby. And uh, not long after we'd arrived, uh, my father died. So um, uh, mum was suddenly left in this country. I was two and a half and my brother was seven months old. And she was suddenly left in this country having to make a choice as to whether to stay here or return back to India. It's not good for widows in India. So she chose to, to stay here and trying to raise us in a country where she doesn't speak the language and where she doesn't know the culture. Um, and we moved to, to Wimbledon, which is where I, where I did all my growing up. 
and the local church used to run uh, a holiday club in the summer holidays uh, just on Wimbledon Common where the Wombles are and uh, they used to put these tents up and and every year my brother and I from the age of five I went along because it was like really good fun and for my mother it was free childcare you know she could drop us off free childcare for the day and I just used to enjoy the singing there was lots of games and lots of fun and you know and, and that was it really it didn't mean much to me and every year the people would say from the front, oh, do you want to become a Christian? And I was like, no, thank you. I'm a Sikh. And I went to temple all of the time. Mum was very involved in temple. I was very involved in temple. Um, but the year I was 12, someone changed the question. And they said, they didn't say, do you want to be a Christian? They said, do you want Jesus to be your friend? And in that moment, something happened on my inside where I realised for the first time that maybe that Jesus was real and not like Father Christmas and not tooth fairy. And in understanding that Jesus was real, I found myself crying like I had an emotional response to realising that Jesus was real. Twelve years old and just crying and realising that I wanted to have Jesus as my friend. And uh, so the person that was asking me the question said, well, you can have Jesus as your friend, you just have to ask him to come into your life. It's a bit weird. And... Um, I'm like, but I can't, I can't be Christian because my family is Sikh. Uh, God will give you the strength to tell your mum. I was a little bit naive, but also really wanted Jesus to be my friend. And so honourable in common, age 12, I asked Jesus to be my friend. And uh, it was just a one-line prayer. That's all it was. And I remember running around all the tents telling people, oh, I've asked Jesus to be my friend. It makes me a Christian. And, uh, but I didn't really understand. And I went home that night and didn't tell my mum. And, uh, but all I knew about Christians is what I'd learned from TV, that you were supposed to kneel by your bed and pray, and that you were supposed to read your Bible. So I had this little Gideon's Red New Testament that you all get at school. I used to sneak read that, make sure nobody saw me, and I used to lay in my bed, praying silently, hoping that God would hear me and that nobody else would. And that's basically, that was my, my introduction to Christianity. And to bring this story more up to date, I mean, I... I, I um, Somebody went and told my mum that I'd become a Christian. I went to youth group. Someone went and told my mum that I'd become a Christian. So then I wasn't allowed to go to a youth group or have Christian friends. I still obviously had Christian friends. I was, you know, I was school. Um, and then when I was 18, mum finally just said to me, if you want to carry on going to church, you can go to church now. And, um, and so, yeah, I've been a Christian a really long time. Um, and I can't say it's always been easy. It's not been straightforward. Um, what I do know is that I couldn't do life without knowing Jesus, without knowing that he has, I, I feel like he has called me, uh, I know that he's called me and I belong to 